yeah, I mean, there are people that uh, channel music and and they don't call it channeling. You don't necessarily know that you're unconsciously channeling when you're doing it. You might, as you say, be just be in the zone. And part of being in the zone is being connected to your friends in spirit and also just having a really good flow with all the all the other parts of yourself that you may not be in touch with on a daily basis, what we call your essence, for example. A lot of us have emotions that don't even belong to us. The Big Hormone Enneagram. Hi, I'm John Lukovic, sexual uh, self-pres, more than five wing, four five eight trifix. Hi, I'm David Gray, self-pres, sexual nine with one nine seven four trifix. What up? It's Emika. I'm an eight wing seven, sexual self-pres with eight five four fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy. I am a self-pres social three wing four with a three six nine trifix. If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. Is John with us yet, by the John way? John is with us. Can you hear me? Awesome. Oh, hey, John. Hey. Everybody's here now. Uh, hey, so Jack, let me... so how, how are you doing? Have you, since we talked last, have, have you gotten fat and bald? <laughs> yes, both. <laughs> okay, I'm amazed. yeah, I was worried that might happen with that body type of yours. He, he went, ahead, really he went ahead and shaved his head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's gonna wake yeah. up one day. He's gonna have a huge pot belly. He's gonna look like Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, that's you, you got to look at the silver lining, which is that you're not going to need padding for your Santa suit, and is, it's, yeah. it's very convenient. Aww. You know, so that's so true. That's so nice. I'm a big yeah. Santa Claus uh, fan. I'm sure. Joy yeah. and, and the seasons and yeah, and all that. <laughs> oh, you know what? Uh, on that note, because that's one of the last things we talked about, Joseph made a good distinction that some of these body types are active and there's a restlessness with some of these body types like Mercurial, Marshall, and Saturnine. And so if you are choosing a lifetime where you're doing introverted activities such as being a writer which would require you to sit down for long periods of time certain body types are more conducive to doing that and so jovial and lunar being both passive body types makes it easier for someone who spent a lot of time indoors doing one thing like john does (laughs) writing a fuck ton uh, by himself and so that's a potential distinction that could be made in terms of that body type. Yes. So I have a lunar type, and lunar is the most feminine of the body types, it, and it only accounts for 54% of my total body type influence, but, but because it's extreme, it has a very strong uh, influence. And even if I were quite disciplined about working out, which I'm not, uh, I wouldn't get a lot of, of muscle definition. And so I've I've often uh, lamented that I have this body type that is not in fashion, but it is an excellent body type for sitting for hours and writing, which I do, uh, because it is the most passive of the body types. And it's also a very intellectual body type. It's not very much integrated with the body. 
uh, the body is the least developed and the mind is the most developed. And so you find that like a lot of these techie guys that stay up all night coding, a lot of them also have lunar body type because they like to think and they like to figure out problems and they love staying up at night doing things because of the moon's influence on them. Uh, so, um, you know, there are pros and cons to, to each of the types. That's interesting. Besides John being a four wing five, there are some specific things of being sort of a, like a night being <laughs> someone who only exists at nighttime. Yeah. Yeah. The love of the moon. Hey guys, we're back here again with Shepard Hoodwin talking about Michael teachings. Um, when we were left off last time, we were talking about body types, but today we're going to circle back around to channeling and trying to understand what channeling is and how it works. And then we will continue with uh, the rest of the chart and other questions that people might have in terms of trying to understand their chart. So a couple of announcements. We are gearing up to record another episode of The Love Line. If you want to be featured on the next episode of The Love Line, you should send in your voicemails. Uh, by calling 323-696-0647. And if you don't want to do it that way, you can email us at bhupodcast.gmail.com with a voice note that you've already recorded. Secondly, David and John were featured on a podcast called No Small Thing, an episode that dropped this week. Uh, so you can check that out. They're talking about the Enneagram and not a four because during the conversation, one of the hosts of the podcast realized they are not a four and so that's a really interesting conversation which leads me to the next announcement that we're making we're going to be doing more stuff around not a four this year and we're taking complaints questions comments if you have any questions around type four and mistyping as type four send in your voicemails to the same number 323-696-0647 or voice notes uh, we're going to do a show around not a four coming soon so the first question I have for you, because I, I read most of the 100 pages that you have on channeling, and I found it really interesting because I think one of the first thoughts that I had when I first heard about channeling is, how the fuck do we know that this isn't just like intuition? You know, reading your, uh, what you wrote about all that stuff, you really got into detail in terms of the distinction between intuition, of course, we know we're aware of psychics and mediums and what channeling is. So for, can you talk briefly about those four things and how different channeling is from intuition, psychics, mediums, and what makes channeling channeling? Channeling and mediumship are often used interchangeably, but I differentiate between them. Uh, I limit the term mediumship to referring to when uh, somebody connects with a deceased loved one. So uh, your dad died two years ago. You want to talk to them. Um, I would classify the person who specializes in that as a medium, and I would say that that is a subset of channeling. Now, there's also the question of the mechanics of it. Are you listening to this person's father and just repeating what they say? That's not exactly channeling, then. That mm -hmm. is more in the realm of just tuning in and then and repeating it. Channeling technically means that you are stepping aside and allowing another being to speak through you 
to another person. And channeling would not necessarily be just speaking. It may not just be intellectual. You could be allowing another being to dance through you or paint through you or make music through you or with you. It could be a collaboration. It doesn't necessarily mean one or the other. So there, there's a lot of uh, nuances um, to all of this. Uh, I would define intuition as where you are uh, really in touch with yourself. You're well integrated with all the parts of yourself where you can listen with your body. You can listen to the energies around you. You can sense emotions. You can tune in in a lot of different ways. This is then all integrated into your higher self or what we call your essence in the Michael teachings. And so you're just plugged in to the other senses that really all of us potentially have, but most of us don't develop. And that could also include your spirit guides, which we also all have whispering in our ear, but we don't necessarily break it out as, okay, this is coming from spirit guide A and this is coming from my essence. It's just basically where you're listening to a deeper knowing that goes beyond the intellect. So you know it not because you read it in a book, not because someone told you, not because uh, reason tells it to you alone, but because you have this this deep knowing. But that people who are accessing intuition could actually be in touch with higher beings and teachers, and they could be feeding them some of that good information that they're then conveying to others. Now, there's also a question of what you channel and from what plane you channel. So, uh, as I mentioned last time, you can actually channel other beings on the physical plane. Uh, we have psychics who are gifted animal communicators who can uh, uh, speak to your animals and repeat what they say. Um, you have uh, the vast majority of people who channel from the astral plane. So there are seven planes of creation. Obviously, we are on the physical plane, which is the first plane or the lowest lowest in vibration. When I say lowest, I don't mean it's bad. I just mean it's where we start. And uh, when we are between lifetimes, we are on the astral plane, which is the second plane. And that's also sometimes where we go when we dream. Uh, it's uh, much looser than the physical plane. And so some of the surrealism of our dreams uh, could actually be memories of uh, exploring the astral plane. The next plane is called the causal plane, and Michael teaches from the causal plane. And so every uh, plane vibrates faster, but they're all here. There's there's no there. Everything's here, but it's just at a higher or lower frequency. And we're only designed to perceive a certain band of frequency, because if we perceive all of them at once, we would lose our minds. It would just be, be overwhelming. But people who are Psychics, for example, they've expanded their range a little bit so that they pick up some of the things that most of the people shut out. And sometimes they find it overwhelming. Uh, I believe that there are a number of people who have psychiatric issues who are actually untrained, uncontrolled psychics, and that if they were taught psychic development, I think it would solve a lot of their problems. I'm not saying this is the case with everyone who has a mental illness diagnosis, but I would love to see uh, psychic development taught in psychiatric 
uh, situations like uh, mental institutions because I think it would help a lot of people. So, for example, uh, people who have um, dissociative identity disorder, which used to be called multiple personality disorder, I think some of them are actually picking up on uh, past life selves that are always present with all of us, but the boundaries of their personality in this life are too weak and the other ones are bleeding through. So this could be a big relief for people to get training in this. So how do I know I'm channeling Michael and I'm not just intuiting? Well, Michael's from the causal plane. Energy on the causal plane is very rapid in its vibration compared to uh, what we live with on the physical plane. And so when I channel Michael, uh, extraordinary things happen. If I am in front of a, a person or a group live, in, you know, not, not over the phone, for example, people see lights around me, they see my face change, they feel tingling in their body. In fact, in, in all of my channeling sessions uh, on the phone or Skype or whatever, people feel all these sensations in my body. I feel very different, very expanded, stimulated, um, it's it's very cool, but it's also extremely draining for me, and I'm wiped out after I do it. So I'm this year uh, planning to cut way back on the amount that I do just for my health. Uh, many uh, longtime channels do report health problems and uh, have to cut back on it, so this is uh, not unusual. And so there's no way on earth that I'm making this up, because if you experience it, you know that it is not just intuition. However, not even every Michael channel brings through the quantity and intensity of energy that I do. I think that I'm very unusual in that regard. Uh, I have learned to identify what Michael's energy feels like. And so if someone else is channeling Michael, even very lightly, even just a little bit of the energy, I can still identify that, yeah, that's Michael. There are people who channel in a very casual style where it's hard to tell the difference between them and the entity that they're channeling. Um, they may be using a different technique than I use. They may be just uh, getting an impression of a thought form and then putting it in their own words, which is really a lot easier. When I first started, I found if I channeled too fast, uh, it was not as concise and brilliant and elegant and beautiful as the Michael channeling I had just read in the first Michael book, and I didn't like that. So very quickly, I slowed it way down, and I said, Michael, I want you to choose one word at a time. I do not want me to be choosing the words. I want you to do it. I want it to be precise, the exact right word, and I want it to be powerful. And so at first, it was excruciatingly slow, and it probably took a lot of patience for people to listen to me if I was doing it through speaking. I also did a lot of it in writing, and it could be very slow for me to get the right words in the, the early days. I also found in that first year that if I channeled more than 45 minutes, I got an excruciating headache. Uh, I called it a channeling headache, and it felt like someone had hit me over the head with a, an iron frying pan. And sort of like getting in athletic shape for it, uh, I developed my muscles for that, and I could go longer and longer. The most that I've ever gone was close to six hours, which I would never do again. But, um, 
yeah, there are people who blur the lines when they're channeling. You can't really tell whether they're channeling or whether it's just um, coming from their own higher self, which there's nothing wrong with. I mean, our higher selves are, are great and they have a lot to say. But sometimes channeling sounds kind of trite, like you've heard it a million times already, like you're just getting platitudes and generalities. And um, I find that that kind of channeling tends to come more from guides on the astral plane who are maybe not that experienced and not that uh, profound. Um, they may be perfectly lovely, and you may have soul agreements to work with them, and that's great. But what I love about the Michael stuff is how unique it is, how powerful and deep and penetrating it is. I did a workshop in Europe last year, and I at the end of the workshops, uh, we do two hours on um, Friday and Saturday where every person gets to ask one personal question. And there's also a lot of healing energy work for the whole group. And it just so happened this particular evening, three people asked very similar questions. And they got three totally different answers from Michael. And because Michael was uh, really studying them, going really deep into them and their situation and, and what their need was. And they each had a very different need, although the questions sounded uh, very similar. So, um, you know, just because it's channeled doesn't mean it's true. Uh, there's a joke that goes around uh, New Age circles that uh, uh, being dead doesn't make someone smart necessarily. So uh, you can talk to a lot of dead people who are maybe not quite as screwed up as they were when they were in the body, but they may not be that evolved. So you, you want to use your discernment when you listen to anyone, whether they're physical or channeled or uh, a psychic or whatever. And not every psychic or, or so-called healer has uh, altruism, has your best interests at heart. So I think that uh, New Age things tend to be ridiculed a lot. And in fact, it seems to be the last area in our modern society where it's okay to ridicule people for having uh, beliefs in New Age things. I think uh, the idea that there's uh, something eternal that lives beyond the body is very threatening to a lot of people. But I think part of the ridicule comes from choosing as examples some of the less grounded people who believe things really naively and don't question. Uh, Michael encourages people to question everything, to be skeptical, to validate the information that they're given and not just swallow it whole, uh, because we don't really learn unless we do that. So uh, one of the things that uh, stood out to me very specifically that you talked about in your explaining how channeling works is that uh, one of the things I was curious about is like, how does the information and Mike, Michael, this entity is giving you in the non-physical realm, which is not the not words um, or language, but now has to be converted through you into words. And what you said in your book was that um, um, this is happening at the higher centers and the sixth and seventh chakras. And I wanted you to talk a little bit more about the experience of that um, how do you experience your, your, your higher centers and how do you get 
um, you know, the experience of getting something from Michael and it becoming words through the six and seven chakras. Um, let's talk about the Michael charts first. So okay. uh, all of you have your Michael charts and there's maybe 23 individual pieces of information about that. Yes. And uh, the Michael entity is made up of 1,050 souls. Yes. And they have two soul types. They have mostly warriors and they have uh, a, a bunch of king souls. And I mostly channel king souls. And when I channel Michael charts, I am mostly working with one particular soul within the group who is a king soul with server casting. Mm-hmm. And we have been working together on charts for 15 years. And I've been channeling Michael charts for 34 years. And so there's this whole energetic infrastructure that's been built in my brain and body to enable me to do this. And with practice, it's gotten faster and faster. So uh, this server cast king does not, you know, go into a, a physical paper book and look up, um, you know, oh, uh, John here. Uh, oh, okay, John's an artisan, it says here, and, you know, and just repeats it because things don't obviously exist on paper in the non-physical realms. And uh, we have words like artisan, but those don't exist on the higher realms. So what they really have to do, and in this case, the server cast king, needs to go deeply into your Akashic record and find out what the energies are there, and then they dictate the energies. Can you briefly say what Akashic record means? Yes. So um, many people misunderstand that there is a place where everything that happens gets recorded like on a tape recorder or, or on a hard drive. And then if you're a psychic who can access the Akashic records, you know how to go and, and play the tape, and it, it plays back to you. But that's not actually how it happens. How it really happens is that everything exists. Everything that has ever existed on some level exists still. And accessing the Akashic records is really like looking through a window from where you are into where this exists. And so it's not like something has to be recorded separate from the, the fact of its being or its happening. It's there, and it's just a way of going into this neutral place where there's a window where you can see or, or receive that thing. So uh, all of us have had many past lives, and a psychic might look into your Akashic records and tell you about that lifetime in which you were in a leper colony, for example. But it's not that when you got done with that life, you as a soul decided to make a tape recording about that lifetime. It's just that it existed, and at some level it still exists, and it's part of you, and so you're looking through the window into that information. So uh, when you planned this lifetime, you actually created a personality. You decided... Uh, what kind of person you were going to be in this lifetime. And it's more than just choosing the parents and the body. You chose your goal, and and John, in your case, the goal of discrimination. And, of course, that's what we're calling it here in the English language on the physical plane. But you aligned with a particular combination of energies, and you created that personality 
and Michael then can look deeply into you where those choices reside, deeply into your, you could say, Akashic records, and then dictate it to me. And because I've been channeling charts for 34 years, they can very quickly do that because I have this infrastructure for them dictating this information. And I just go down the uh, database form in which I channel charts, and they just go boom, boom, boom with this, 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 and this. So um, those exist. You, the fact that you have a goal of discrimination and an attitude of skeptic and caution mode and all of that, those are energies that you chose that solidified into who you are in this lifetime. And uh, they just have to go deeply enough into the records to dictate it. Now, some of the accuracy problems that some channels have that want to work with this information is that they're not going deeply enough. And so what if, although these are your true uh, overleaves and role, uh, what if you were heavily imprinted to act like someone else? Um, like you shouldn't be, John, you should be like your dad or your mom or what society expects of you, and you took on certain behaviors. Um, then if they don't go deep enough, they might get the surface manifestation. Or let's say that you don't like having a goal of discrimination and you're constantly forcing yourself to slide to the opposite acceptance. They may pick that up instead. So quality in channeling, or really in anything, has a lot to do with going deeply enough to get to the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Sure. Um, this might be dumb. I don't know. Um, no such thing. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll challenge you on that. Um, <laughs> why is it that, so if we're a soul and we pick all of this stuff and why is it that when we get here, we basically like forget all of our soul before this space that we're in? Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's that actually seem a great. Fair. <laughs> It, it, it's a great question, and, and, and there is a reason for that. And there are uh, beings who are playing a similar game to us uh, on the physical plane in certain life forms who remember a lot more of this stuff. Um, we spoke last time about the Hindu idea that we're in this age of darkness and heaviness called the Kali Yuga. Mm -hmm. And it, things are just so heavy down here and so dark that... Um, we have a hard time remembering. Now, the youngest children still remember a lot. Yeah. And so yeah. you will um, see uh, toddlers just, just beginning to speak who do remember their past lives. Mm -hmm. And they'll say mm -hmm. things like, Mommy, do you remember when I was big and you were small? Or do you remember <laughs> when I was your daddy? That happens a lot. Mm -hmm. And because our society... Uh, generally doesn't believe in reincarnation. Uh, most parents go, oh, isn't that adorable? Isn't that cute? But sometimes it is so correct that it's really scary for the parents. Whereas in uh, India, this thing happens all the time and the parents are, are perfectly fine with it. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't have the adults around you uh, pushing down your memories, uh, you might remember more of this stuff. 
So it's partly societal. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also that we could remember a lot more of this stuff if we took the time to ask our subconscious to remember. So I do past life regressions. I call it past life therapy. Mm-hmm. And people say this all the time. Well, why don't I remember my past lives? My answer is, well, did you ever ask your subconscious to bring it up? Uh, no. I mean, maybe you, you didn't even have the idea that you could ask. And I find that almost everyone who is open, which is a big if, if I can just get them to relax and start asking them questions and using guided imagery, I can get them to remember a past life. And it's like, it's shocking and it's amazing. And all you had to do was ask, but you didn't ask. And in a similar vein, if I got you relaxed, I could say, Nancy, let's go back to the time just before you incarnated. And what do you see? And if you are loose about it, you will start to see stuff. And I'll say, Nancy, okay, uh, you're sitting across from your guide and you're planning this lifetime. And uh, what do you and your guide discuss about what you want to get done? And it's all there. You would remember. You don't have to go to a psychic or channel to tell you. You just need to ask or maybe to have someone help you ask. It's always easier if you have a, a, a trained facilitator who's been down these roads before, knows what to ask you, and someone that you trust. But it, it's there. It's there. You know, unfortunately, most of us grew up in a repressive materialistic society where if you believe in this stuff, you're crazy. Uh, so I was just, I was talking on the phone with the mecca the other night and I was saying, we were talking about the Enneagram and I was saying one of the interesting things about the two or the, the, the big difference between these two systems, because I'm equally fascinated is that like with the Enneagram, if you're good at typing, you can see somebody's type, you can use your intuition and, and sort of unlock that secret, so to speak. But with this, it's like, I feel like I want to, like, I'm looking at people, I'm like, I, I want this chart. And I feel almost like disconnected from the font of this incredible knowledge. So I'm just wondering, like, do you think that channeling is something that anyone can do? Or is it something that's sort of like, you know, a gift, like only Beethoven can write the symphonies or that kind of thing? Or um, is it something that can be taught? Um I believe that um, theoretically anybody could channel just like anybody could learn to play the piano, but a few will be Beethoven. Right. Um, I think that to channel Michael or another causal entity costs you a lot. And so if it's not part of your life plan, if it's not something that really fits with who you are and what you want to do, you're probably not going to go to the trouble to uh, do that. There are a fair number of people who uh, claim to channel the, uh, the Michael charts. And some of them, even beginners, are right on. I mean, they get really good information. And some of them are way, way off because, as I said, they're not going deeply enough. And um, not everyone's going to be good at overleaves, but they might be good at channeling other kinds of information. But your ability to observe someone and type them in terms of the, the Enneagram is partly because you've been practicing a while, right? You've been yeah. studying it. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I have been working uh, very hard to 
uh, teach Michael students how to recognize traits uh, and especially how to recognize when something's been channeled wrong. Like somebody says that so-and-so is a king, and yet they don't give the slightest uh, evidence of looking the way kings look. They don't have the look in their eyes, the facial expression, the bearings. They might just be looking at some superficial personality traits like, well, you know, I'm a good leader. But that could come from several places on the chart. So I know that um, you are actually creating databases of um, photos that show roles and body types, and pe if people will mm -hmm. study that. And there's also uh, one Dave Gregg put together on michaelteachings.com called the Role Photos Database. And these are invaluable tools. And if you study that, you're going to get pretty good at roles. Now, you may mistake a secondary influence, which comes from essence twin bleed-through or casting, or being the actual role. That is a mistake I make fairly often. Uh, but you will be in the right neighborhood. You'll at least be able to say, well, I'm picking up some scholar here, I'm picking up some king and maybe uh, some artisan, and I think the role is scholar because of the look in the eyes, but I'm not 100% sure. If you can do that, you're doing really, really well. Now, some of the stuff on the chart is just so subtle that I don't even bother trying to guess it in, in most cases. But uh, if you really know a person well and you observe them over time, then um, over time you might be able to make a pretty good guess uh, about someone's um, soul age or their goal or, or whatever. Uh, and some of the overleaves do actually show up in facial expressions, like people with the goal of discrimination, which several of you have, although it's an unusual uh, goal. Uh, in some of their pictures, they have this kind of squinty look in their eyes, like they're trying to discriminate. <laughs> you know, it's like, hmm, 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 I don't know about that. Or um, a cynic is, uh, is a, uh, an overleaf that really can flavor the personality, but it's strong in some people and not in others. So it's just something you work with over time and, and you get good at. But if you feel called to channel, if you're, you feel a real strong pull toward it, then you absolutely should do it. You may not end up channeling Michael, or you might. You just, you never know. Uh, there's a channel in Germany named Varda Hasselmann, who's uh, quite well known there, who read the first Michael book and started channeling, and she thought it was Michael she was channeling. Um, but it turned out to be a, a, quote, cousin of Michael called Dequella, or the source. And uh, also she works with um, some of the same chart information, the role and the overleaf. So, um, you know, this isn't necessarily uh, limited to channeling Michael, but she is doing causal channeling. One of the interesting things, or one of the important things to me, at once I realized that you were, I mean, because my initial thought was this is just some intuition or just some random uh, stuff that's going on, I'm pretty skeptical. But then once I realized that my chart was accurate, well, I was like, well, let's get people that I know pretty well to get their charts. And then if this is coming from somewhere and it is accurate, then I'm going to be able to, we're going to be able to find out very quickly 
And so uh, what's been blowing my mind is looking at the charts of my friends and seeing how, you know, I know this person, I know Davidson greed, got a chief obstacle of greed and his chart shows up and that's what's, that's what's on there. Um, that's like, like, where is that coming from? This has got to be coming from uh, somewhere that has accurate knowledge of him. <laughs> so anyway, that's just. Yeah. And, and 99% of the charts I do are of people I've never met, mm -hmm. which I like. I like. And um, and I do know that there are channels who uh, seem to be getting accurate charts for people they haven't met and inaccurate ones for people that they have met because then their bias kicks in. Mm. So um, it's, um, it's a really nice validation for me to hear uh, when I haven't met these people. I had some questions about, uh, like, so, you know, as I said, uh last call i'm i'm fairly cynical or you know because my fucking whatever one of my roles or something overleaves is cynic or skeptic or whatever skeptic, yeah you're skeptic uh -huh. i'm a skeptic Which is similar to cynic but a little different so i want to I'm, I'm curious about uh the felt experience of channeling uh because you're you're talking about and i'm not this is not like a gotcha kind of thing i'm just i'm just generally curious but like you were talking earlier about channeling michael word for word versus sort of um, trying to discern these different categories. And I don't know if the reading the, ch the somebody's Michael chart is different than like channeling the entity or whatever, but like I would imagine in something like channeling uh, first that one would have to sort of empty oneself in some way. Another, another component to that is that, you know, you were speaking to um, like making fun of the new age stuff. And like, I think one of the, there's a lot within new age that can seem arbitrary or contradictory or uh unreliable or flaky or whatever or just a grift and so you know i think one of the things that comes up when people start to you know expand their awareness beyond what's quote unquote normal uh you know one of the one of the easiest or one of the, one of the common fears is just that you're either fucking crazy or deluding yourself or uh hallucinating or you know, whatever. And, and we all know people who have communicated something that they thought was like from something higher. And it was clearly just their narcissism going, going rampant. So like, I imagine there's the emptying oneself piece, but how's the, like, how do you, where does discernment, uh, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm curious about the discernment that happens uh, in an experience like that. Bias is a huge problem and not just in channeling, but in uh, every uh, aspect mm -hmm. of life. And the problem with bias is that we usually don't know what our biases are. And a big part of being on a conscious spiritual path is the willingness to explore what our biases are and making an effort to put them aside. So this is obviously really important for a channel, but it's equally important if you're a journalist mm -hmm. uh, or if you're an artist even, um, if you are a scientist. Uh, a bias is a frozen thought form that just won't let anything new in. And uh, it's assumptions, it's rigidity of thought. And channels who don't know what their biases are and are not willing to put them aside are going to pollute the information, which is why some people might get a good chart on someone they don't know, but uh, a bad chart on someone that they do know. So um, a good prayer or affirmation to make 
uh, before channeling or doing a psychic access or healing is simply I ask to put aside all of my biases and, in fact, all conditioned consciousness and just let the highest caliber of truth possible come through me. And, you know, if you're writing a song, that's also a good affirmation to state, you know, so that you're not constantly using the same chords that you've used in other songs or that you aren't making a trite lyric that that is in 10 billion other songs. You know, putting aside your conditioned consciousness is a requirement to be good at at anything uh, in life. I find that when I channel charts, uh, although I make guesses, I don't care, you know, whether they come out as an old soul or a young soul or a king or a server, because I, I truly don't believe that one is better than the other. But a lot of people do believe that it's, for example, better to be an old soul than to be a mature soul or a young soul, and it's uh, better to be a king soul than to be a server soul, which is just not true. But It's a misunderstanding of the material. But if you have these rigid thought forms, and let's say this is someone you like, you want to give them the good stuff, that, or what you think is the good stuff. And if it's someone you don't like, you, you, want, you want to assign them the, the roll and overleaves that, that you don't like. So, um, again, it's a matter of going deep enough. If you, if you are really putting your conditioning aside, uh, you will get good information if you're going deep enough and letting Michael go really deeply uh, through you and basically saying, okay, I just want the truth. I don't care. Uh, you know, you're totally free to do what you do. I have a friend who's a really gifted Michael Channel. He's really good at the charts. Like I say, not all the Michael Channels are good at the chart information, but he is. And he did a chart for someone, and then this person was going to be attending one of my workshops. And the guy said, I'd, I'd just like you to check everything. And that was a good idea because he was going to be in my workshop and then I could stand behind everything. And um, I got one thing that was different from the original chart, and that was I got him having a frequency of 100, which is almost unheard of compared to what the first chart had given him, which was like you know maybe 50 or 60, which is much more normal. So at the workshop, I, I said to the group when they were breaking up into small groups, I said, you know, this was originally channeled this way. This is what I got. He's also an artisan, which is a high-frequency role, so it's a little hard to tell if we're just picking up on the role or if he individually has a frequency of 100. So I would really like you to study this and think about it. And, and they all came back and they said, yep, that's, he's definitely at 100. You know, he's just, he had this very unusual, airy quality about him. So I, I told my friend this, and he said, oh, it doesn't surprise me. I don't think I would have let them dictate 100 because I d wouldn't have thought it was possible. And see, that's the problem. If you, if you have these preconceptions, you know, Michael does not impose. No one in spirit imposes. They're not going to push past your rigidities. And so if you are saying, no, that's not possible, uh, you know, they can't be seventh level old soul because I expect them to look like this and they don't look like this. If you have anything like that, then then the channeling uh, will be compromised. Interesting. So in terms of channeling 
like do you choose who or what you channel and uh like and you know what i've heard from you it sounds like you have an affinity with a particular soul within the michael collection of souls but like is it sort of like could you choose to channel an entity completely different from michael and could you choose to channel uh i would imagine there's negative entities on these higher planes too uh like what's the landscape or territory uh typically uh, who you channel is who you agreed to channel before you were born. It's part of your life agreement. And then when it's time for you to start, you get tapped on the shoulder. I told you that story in, mm-hmm. in uh, our earlier um, podcast. I have no conscious awareness of having specifically asked this um, server cast king to dictate my charts. I imagine that that was uh, a collective decision within the Michael uh family, the entity, uh, and um, I was told that this server cast king is a soul that uh, has been a good friend of mine in, in many past lives, and so we already have a bond, and it would make sense for us to work together in a friendly way on this, and uh, clearly this, um, this soul is very good at this material, and we have a lot of trust in each other. But, yeah, I mean, on a conscious level, um, the only way that I know that I'm working with a server cast king is that I asked Michael and they told me that. Now, I also do Q&A sessions, which uh, are using uh, a much larger, uh, you might say, committee of uh, members of the Michael entity. So uh, let's say I'm channeling for a group there might be uh, 30 members of the 1,050 souls hanging around, and whoever is best equipped to answer the question might come through, but I have no awareness of it. It it almost always feels the same to me. It's just being handled uh, at a higher level, and so I'm just doing my job. However, one time I channeled a warrior member rather than a king member. I almost always get kings maybe because I'm a sage and kings and sages are both cardinal roles. And the warrior coming through, which happened to be in an individual session for a warrior soul, uh, felt very different to me. So that sort of thing, yeah, I'll notice that. What's like the felt experience or felt sense? Like when you're saying you see or you ask, like, yeah, I'm just curious, like what the actual experience of channeling feels like? I think it's probably really different for me than for most people because I channel such intense energy. But you definitely feel a shift. You you cannot help but feel that something uh, is different. And because the causal plane vibrates at a much faster speed than physical plane energy does, um, you will feel it as a kind of a quickening. Almost invariably, before I'm doing an individual session with someone, even on the phone, they will say that they feel nervous. And they're not nervous. They're feeling Michael, and Michael's energy vibrates faster. And almost invariably, it starts 40 minutes before the session. And I lead them through a simple grounding exercise, just like um, you you might have a lightning rod to uh, take the energy from lightning and put it into the earth where it can't do any harm. I guide people to ground and just send their energy down into the earth, and they immediately feel better. They don't feel nervous anymore. What it feels like to 
other channels, I'm sure everyone would tell you uh, a little different um, thing as far as what their sensations are, but it is, for me, very visceral and unmistakable. And I don't do it casually. If I were just like doing a psychic reading, just tuning in, I could do that very casually. You know, if they were just talking and you ask about something and you say, hey, Shepard, would you tune into this and uh, look at what you get? I'm very happy to do that and I'll do that casually, but I will not channel Michael casually. I can only handle so much channeling and I do it very selectively. So if I end up with a question for Michael, I don't pull them in. I write it down and I do it like in a session. So is is that you can't do so much channeling because there's an actual visceral energy that you're taking on that's draining to your body? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. How many of you have heard of Edgar Casey? Yeah, I've heard, I've heard, heard, heard the yeah. name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was probably, he's probably the most famous channel in history. And he was working from the 20s to the 40s. And he was called the sleeping prophet because he went into a deep trance. He basically fell asleep and he channeled in his sleep. He didn't charge for it. He he was a, a devout Christian, and he felt like uh, charging people was immoral, and yet he didn't have another source of income, so he was always struggling financially. And um, a lot of his channeling was this uncannily accurate health information. And so he had people were taking pilgrimages to come and have him channel for them because of their health problems. And he didn't want to turn anyone away. And he was seeing like six clients a day. And his guides um, kept telling him, you're going to kill yourself if you keep doing this. You should do no more than two a day. And he ignored them. He was probably also in stubbornness. And he died an early death because of it. Um, Channeling is famously difficult on the human body. And I think Casey was channeling from the astral which is a lot easier than from the causal, but you still only have so much capacity to stretch your body with faster vibrations. And uh, a lot of channels do end up with, uh, with health problems. So you, you have to know what your limits are, how much you can do. Um, in the last year, I decided that I was going to uh, take uh, three weeks, three times a year where I didn't channel at all. And uh, I forgot to to write it in my calendar, and I just looked at the calendar and noticed it had been over five months <laughs> since I had done that, and I was starting to feel very run down and burned out, and, and so I thought, oh, God, I've, I've got to do this as soon as I can. So um, as soon as I catch up on charts, I'm going to do that. But yeah, it, it costs you. And for me, I invariably sleep worse after I've channeled. I, I'm not complaining. I don't want anyone to feel bad for me. Uh, it's an occupational hazard. It's just like if you're a typist, you, you might get carpal tunnel syndrome. You know, it just comes with, with the territory. But you, you do have to know what your, your limits are. And uh, I've recently decided that I'm going to cut way back on the amount of channeling I do after 34 years because um, it, I just can't handle it as much. Uh, I think Either it was you or perhaps it was Emika in another conversation that Emika and I had, but um, tell me if I'm wrong, but there's some suggestion that perhaps people may unconsciously be tapping into channeling on some level or, or, uh, or your, your term of, uh, like 
I can't remember what, you, what the term you use, but when you sort of check in uh, casually, like, do you think that that's a thing that people are unconsciously somewhat uh, like tune into the zone, not identifying it as uh, as somewhat like a higher plane or something? Absolutely, yeah. I I do believe that, especially many creative people are collaborating with uh, beings and spirit who just love what they're doing and are helping them with it. And they may actually have soul level agreements to do it, but you don't necessarily know that you're unconsciously channeling when you're doing it. You might, as you say, be just be in the zone. And part of being in the zone is being connected to your friends in spirit and also just having a really good flow with all the all the other parts of yourself that you may not be in touch with on a daily basis, what we call your essence, for example. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, there are people that uh, channel music and and they don't call it channeling. And I'm not saying that their own creativity isn't a big part of it, but whenever you're doing something that's really positive, like composing music, uh, you're going to attract souls who want to get on board with that and want to help you with it and inspire you and, and, and contribute. And, you know, hey, what about this chord? Or, oh, yeah, that's really cool. And it's, it's a collaboration, but you're not conscious of it. And, you know, the whole problem with humanity at this time is that there's a whole lot of things that we're not conscious of. And mm-hmm. part of our growth is to try to become more conscious of a whole lot of things. And part of that is becoming a lot more conscious of the spirit world. John, um, you brought this up earlier, but um, are there negative spirits? Oh, or yeah. is there no yeah. like positive or negative? Yeah. So Every human being that you know is also on the astral plane between lives. And some of the people that you know are jerks, and they don't suddenly become saints when their body dies. They might be a little less jerky because some of their jerkiness comes from their body's survival instincts and fears. Mm -hmm. Um, But they don't become enlightened just because they're dead. (laughs) And there are, I mean, all the souls who are maybe not so kind and wonderful on the astral plane. And you could tune into them. You could, of course, in mediumship, you could talk to any dead person who's willing to talk to you. So, uh, yeah, I think like attracts like. And I think if your intention in channeling or doing psychic work is to be a blessing to other people and you just really want to help and you're not out for your own ego, you're going to attract guides and teachers who share that that positivity and altruism. And if you're uh, just doing it because you can and because it's amusing or you want to manipulate and control people, then um, you will attract beings who have nothing better to do than to manipulate and control people. Uh, I have not had a big problem with, with negative entities, but you can also set an intention before you start and just say, look, okay, I only want to work with the highest possible beings, those that are centered in love. doesn't mean they know everything or they're perfect, but uh, you want to work with beings who are light-centered, just like you want your friends to be light-centered, right? I mean, you don't you don't want to hang out with extremely negative people. I mean, we're all imperfect, and some of us are going to be 
more negative than others. But you know, you want, if you're a, a a kind, good-hearted person, you want to hang out with people like that. So it's the same on the astral plane. And uh, but yeah, um, there's also a problem that happens when your energy field is compromised. So we all have an aura, which I'm calling the energy field. And uh, energy fields can be damaged just like your body can be damaged. When your energy field is damaged, things can get in that shouldn't be there. And that can include other souls who are not so advanced. Things that damage your energy field include uh, drug abuse and alcohol abuse. And if you are hanging out drunk in bars a lot of the time with your energy field compromised, you may attract um, souls who have died but who were alcoholics and really want to come into your body and experience being drunk. And then you may be stuck with them. A lot of us have emotions that don't even belong to us. That's just part of being a human being, that we're, we're all a little porous and connected to each other. But when the energy field is damaged, this can be really a big problem for people. And part of a, the person's healing might just be getting rid of the, uh, the souls that are stuck in your field or have some of their energy stuck in your field that don't belong to you. Part of what I call oral hygiene, and I spell that A-U-R-A-L, <laughs> hygiene, keeping your aura clean, is, on, and I do this on an almost daily basis. I check in, and anything in my field that doesn't belong to me, I send it back to its owner. That's a, just a really good thing for, uh, for everyone to do. So another thing that can compromise your energy field is having surgery going to the hospital. Hospitals are full of people who have died and don't know they've died or they're not willing to move on. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, right. You're freaking me well, out. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? If you practice good oral hygiene, you will be perfectly safe. Uh, I have a short book on the subject called Energy Literacy, and it goes into just how you do that. But I'll tell you a great story. Um, I had a dear friend who had a brain tumor. He had brain surgery. And this guy is a real high, high vibration person, very loving and kind and positive and a gifted psychic and a healer and an artist and all of that. But after this surgery, he just wasn't himself. Something was wrong. And... He had a Michael session with me, and Michael told him, uh, well, your body healed, but your energy field didn't, and they fixed it, and it got rid of the problem. I mean, it was just, it was amazing for me, you know, to, to, to see them be able to read that and do that, and he felt totally different afterwards. So um, there's a lot that can go wrong being a human. And learning about our energy fields and learning how to tend it like a garden to take care of it is a really good thing to do. It's a really smart thing to do. And you don't have to be a gifted psychic to do it. There are really some simple exercises that we can all do that will uh, keep our field clean. But, um, yeah, some people are attracting negative entities because they're angry. 
and they attract entities that feed off of their anger. So it's a really good thing. You know, we all have stored anger. It's a really good thing to be conscious of that and release old stuff like old anger, old fear from our field, and then to expel um, entities, which could be another soul or it could just be like stupid parasitic energies that float around uh, that are attracted to our anger or fear or whatever. It's just a good idea to clean our auras and get rid of that on a regular basis. So, Shepard, uh, I want to say I appreciate that often when questions, like sometimes when you stop talking, I don't have, and I think this is probably true for everybody, uh, immediate questions because you a lot of times answer them, you mm-hmm. know, like whatever comes up as you're speaking. So I have two questions. I mean, do you do you have to talk about all this stuff a lot uh, to a lot of different audiences? And then second question is, uh, speaking of souls that don't know they're dead, what is a good way to know you're dead? <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask that too. I want to know if I die. <laughs> um, you know, I've done a ton of interviews where I talk about the Michael charts, and I love doing that. And it gives me a chance to uh, go over the basics of the Michael teachings. But I've had very few interviews like this one where you've asked me about channeling itself, and I love it. And I love that you've you've brought that up. So how do you know if you're dead? Uh, Look down. And if you see a body there, you're still alive. God damn it. (laughs) 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 I'm so creeped out right now. (laughs) Um, You know, um, there are a lot of people who are not very conscious and they're terrified of dying. And they won't let go of their bodies even after they've gone, and we call them earthbound souls. They're not very common. This is not going to be a problem for any of you because you're all pretty conscious and intelligent and advanced. But, um, you know, there are some people who are just very stuck. And when they die, they're still stuck and, and they're not letting go of the body. You know, it could be as simple as this is my house, I won't let go of it, and I'm, I'm not going to pass on into the light. And that's how you get a haunted house, you know, just somebody who just wow. won't, won't let it go. So ghosts are self-prez types. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah they, they're too attached to the physical plane. The, the people who won't pass over, they're addicted to something, they're addicted to a person, maybe they were... Um, you know, battling this other person and they wouldn't let go of, of the battle. They just won't let go of something about the life. And then they stay kind of halfway in between. And uh, it's not pretty. But um, I've talked to some of them. And sometimes I've just played the part of a psychotherapist and saying, hey, yeah, I see you there. Um you know, you you could go onto the light. You see those guides over there. They want to take you home, and you'd have a much better time of it. And hey, you could you could let go of this. It wouldn't be such a bad thing. And sometimes, I mean, it's, it's bizarre to say this, but sometimes uh, they're more willing to listen to me because I'm in a body, and they trust someone in the body more than they trust their spirit guides. They don't believe in spirit guides, so their spirit guides are out there trying to get them to go home. And, and but they won't believe them, but they'll believe me. So I, I've done a little bit of that kind of work. This is not my area of expertise, and mediumship 
is something I do, but it's also not my area of expertise. I mean, I've watched like the Hollywood psychic on television or the Hollywood medium, Mm -hmm. this young guy who was just incredible, like getting bank account numbers and things like that from the world of spirit. He's just way beyond my skills in that. But um, I dabble. I can do a little bit of those sorts of things. Real real quick, you talked about souls moving towards the light, and I've read some books about, I mean, when I was young, I was really curious about these uh, sort of near-death experiences that people had, maybe people in hospitals who had died but were somehow brought back and how people had these independent experiences where they were describing the same kind of imagery and sort of process of moving through a canal where there was a light at the end of this canal that they were moving through as after they had died or they'd seen their body. And I guess uh, my question is, how much do you know about the passage of a soul um, from conscious life, the physical plane, to, you know, I guess the astral plane, non, the non-physical, is that accurate? That's in the sort of accounts that people who've had near-death experiences, the sort of images that they've brought back, is that accurate in your estimation? Yes, it is accurate, and, and the accounts are uh, very similar from person to person. I mentioned how dense the world of humanity is right now, and that's just a really tough place to be. And for most souls, dying is like being let out for recess. It's a lot more fun. It's easier. It's a lot easier. And of course, you're not contending with bodies that get sick and have their aches and pains and 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 the survival fears and and you know all the drives and all of this. It's just more pleasant. And no wonder they call it heaven. And um, almost every soul I've communicated with who's passed over has reported really liking it. You know, it's like, this is great. This is fun. Whee! It's light. It's, and my loved ones are here and they're meeting me. Now, the idea that there's a hell came about because there are neighborhoods of the lower astral plane where people go who can't stop torturing themselves. Uh, they're, they're racked with guilt. Maybe they created a lot of karma, and it's self-created. There's no such thing as an external devil who sentences you to hell, but you can sentence yourself to hell. And if you do a lot of horrible things, you will probably create a hell uh, for yourself. And yet, um, like that movie, What Dreams May Come, there are always guides willing to help you heal and release from that and come into uh, a happier, better state uh, of consciousness. But um, basically, the astral plane is whatever you want it to be. You can create whatever you want out of astral matter. So people who love to learn and study uh, get to go to these amazing libraries where they can download all the information they want. And uh, you can go and visit the astral plane of other planets and uh, you get to see all your loved ones, and you can plan future lifetimes, and you can review past lifetimes. The idea of the life review is uh, often comes up in um, metaphysical literature, that after you die, eventually you look at the life you just lived, and you see what you can learn from it, and that absolutely happens for every soul. 
It doesn't mean that you learn your lessons. It doesn't mean that you face your stuff. It means that you, your guides give you an opportunity uh, to take a, a look at it. Uh, I love one of my favorite all-time movies was uh, Defending Your Life with Meryl Streep and Albert Brooks. Did any of you see that? No. Yeah, I know that movie. No. I know that one. Yeah. Okay, it's from the '90s, and I know you're you're younger. Rent that movie. It is fabulous, and um, it's Albert Brooks who's comedian. It's his version of of what goes on in the afterlife and the life review. Um, in the '80s, Shirley MacLaine got real famous for her so-called kooky new age ideas and talking about the afterlife. And they actually hired her to portray the person who was running the past life pavilion where she was, she was letting people look at some of their past lives. It's it's hilarious. It's a wonderful uh, movie, but that actually does happen. And um, we all have guides. We all have at least one guide and our guides been looking out for us, trying to help us stay on whatever track that we ourselves wanted to be on for that lifetime. And then we get to look at at what we did, and and that can help us in planning the next lifetime. Well, you know, we we didn't quite conquer this uh, lesson. Maybe we could go at it in a different way in the next lifetime. How would you like to approach that? But the thing that is really important to understand is that no one else is judging you. So it's not like God is saying, oh, you were a terrible person. You're going to go to hell. (laughs) You get a chance to look at your life, and then you decide, well, how do I feel about that? Was that the best I could do? Do I want to change that next time? The only judge is ourselves. We get to decide, was this up to my standards? Is this what I wanted to accomplish? Uh, And no one puts a gun to your head and says, you have to grow, you have to learn, you have to become more loving, you have to become a better person. It's sort of like uh, going to a college with a self-directed curriculum. You You just learn what you want to learn. You go where you want to go. You meet up with people you want to meet up with. And uh, the only thing that's really compelling is if you make karma. And karma means that you have robbed someone else of their rights to choose. So, for example, an obvious example of karma would be uh, you and I get into a fight and I kill you. I took something that didn't belong to me, which was your life. Therefore, in another life, you either get to kill me and then we're even, <laughs> or I save your life. And we can decide ahead of time which, which one of these two things we're going to do. But I owe you a life, and that's my karma. And the thing about karma is that it weighs really heavily on you until you pay it back. And the heavier, when you see people who are really heavy, um, they're carrying a lot of karma. One Michael Channel said that Harrison Ford, uh, who's actually an old soul warrior, was a hitman in his last lifetime. And if you observe him, he always seems so heavy. You know, he just seems like a really heavy, sad person. And uh, that would explain it. Uh, I mean, if you created a lot of karma, you got to pay that back. And the older the soul, the more you start to say, hey, I don't want to come back here to clean up this mess. I'm going to try to stay away from karma. But you do learn and grow a lot from karma creation. It's not a happy way to grow, but it is one way that we, we do grow is by making a mess of things and then cleaning up the mess. So you're saying Hitler is really fucked. 
And Mitch McConnell. <laughs> Mitch McConnell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what happens with these people who create mass karma like that? Of course, Hitler was not the only one creating karma. It was all of the people who went along with this. They all have their karmic role in this. But um, when someone has created mass karma, they simply cannot be reborn enough to pay it all off. He cannot have six million more lifetimes to be killed, you know, by six million former Jews. It's just not practical. So <laughs> the way he's going to have to do that is he's going to have to come back and find a cure for cancer. He's going to have to save millions of lives. He is going to be one of those people who's really driven, the sort of person who has no life except in the laboratory, or however he decides to pay all of this debt off. But this debt weighs really heavily on you. I was um, tuning into the spirit world after 9-11, and um, I could see that those terrorists were very confused because they had been promised paradise. They had been promised, mm -hmm. you know, 72 virgins apiece. And they arrived on the other side having created all this karma, and they felt so heavy and dark. And they thought, wait a minute, this is not what I was taught. This isn't what I was told. I mean, I felt kind of sorry for them because they thought they were doing something good, but they created all this karma. And they're going to have to, to, to work all that off. And maybe they'll come back and they will teach other people not to believe in religious fundamentalism, that the ends do not justify the means. Or the CIA. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, yeah. <laughs> not really. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, there are certainly people that uh, are thought of as being good guys who are out there creating a lot of negative karma. There's mm -hmm. also philanthropic or positive karma. Like, let's say um, I'm pretty well-to-do, and I notice this kid who's really bright but doesn't have much money, and I pay for his education out of the goodness of my heart. I want nothing in return. That's called philanthropic karma. And I'm, I, I gave it without expecting anything in return, but that kid's probably going to want to do something really nice for me in another lifetime. And, um, you know, that's how it works. You know, if you keep putting out love and goodness and helpfulness, then other people are going to want to give that back to you, even though they're not obligated uh, to do so. David, I, I don't think you, you have any questions about um, channeling. Yeah. Uh, not channeling, but... Or any uh, in general. So my question is a question for God. So if you can channel God. Oh, oh that um, would be oh, yeah, we, I'm in on this. Yeah. She and I talk every day. You Yay, know, she's and, a she. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was just uh, saying to her, you know, why don't you make it rain twice a week from 2 to 5 a.m. <laughs> in California because it's just so dry here. And she thought that was a very good idea and she would take it into consideration. So. <laughs> Perfect. Anyway, well, yes. Well, my question is much more important than that. Um, yeah. So no. Uh, <laughs> um, and I and it's of course it's not fully formed as I am Ever. right here center Nothing's stage. Fully yeah. You're not. Fully um. So why is the system the way it is? Like, why do you, for example, uh, speak with your guides before you're incarnated? 
uh, and you decide you're going to learn X, Y, or Z. And why isn't it just that you already are it or have it or what's happened? I mean, is there, is it a thing of creativity playing with creativity and it's just sort of an, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, every planet is the reality creation of the souls who decided to come to that planet and play that particular game. And the rules sometimes get changed as we go along. And it's a collective choice. So Michael is fond of saying all is choice. And on some level, yes, you as a spark of the Tao, you are already an eternal being of love, truth, and beauty. You don't have to become that. That's what you are. But by choosing to play this game as a human, uh, as a scholar here on planet Earth, you are expanding the Tao. You're having new experiences and you're making it richer. And that is something that you chose to do. Now, um, the Bible has these ancient stories about people who lived thousands of years and then Methuselah famously lived to be 900 years old, and the lifespans kept getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Of course, most people just dismiss that as mythology. But according to some channel sources, that that is actually accurate, that, um, say, back in the days of Atlantis and Lemuria, uh, when the, uh, the physical plane of humanity was not nearly as dense and heavy, uh, people did live to be a lot longer. And uh, some people uh, say that the reason uh, we now have such short and rather miserable lifespans is the fall of man, that our consciousness fell. And this Kali Yuga thing is another explanation. But one of the Michael channels got that uh, we all got together and we said, you know what? When we live to be thousands of years, we're getting really complacent and we're not growing very fast. What if we shorten the lifespans and aged really fast, and then we'd be racing with the clock in every lifetime, and because things are so dense, we wouldn't remember that this is what we're doing. We would just think, oh my God, my life is so short, I better make the most of it. And to some degree, it's worked, because uh, people are growing faster. People are looking at life and saying, oh, life is short, and um, you know, people say you only live once, you better make the most of it. I, I like to say you only live two or 300 times, so you better make the most of it. But um, it was a collective choice. Now, I think we overshot. I think we should maybe age to our prime and stay there for 50 years before we start falling apart. But um, uh, I put that up for a vote and I was outvoted. So uh, that's <laughs> I bet it was decided well, on a conference call. Zoom. 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 Yeah. And everybody was checked yeah. out and they're like, oh my God. So oh, we go collectively ahead. chose that. We coll- we all individually choose uh, our parents each lifetime. Uh, everything is, is, our, is our choice on some level. So I've got a follow-up kind of if this whole system and existence is creativity, playing with creativity, does that mean there's actually um, new creativity that hasn't happened before is being created. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think of the world of music. Will you ever run out of new 
combinations of notes and rhythms and chords. I don't think so. Ever. No, no. I mean, it's just, it's unending. And and if you're the Tao sitting in equilibrium and perfection all the time, if you didn't have the playground of universes to do something new with, you'd get bored. Yeah, I guess I'm asking it somewhat on the level of, is there a separate uh, pool of collective creativity where all the creations that ever are going to be already are? Not really. I mean, it's, it's potential. You could say, well, you know, there's, you know, every possible combination of notes and rhythms and chords is there in potential, but it doesn't mean that someone's actually done mm-hmm. something with it and, and written the lyrics. You know, it's it's just, it's potentiality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually uh, the Tao is satisfied with the potentiality of a particular universe is, is adequately explored and then will create a new universe. So we have this universe based on on certain mathematical principles, and another universe will be based on different ones, and it'll make different possibilities available to us as the Tao. We're all the Tao. We're all eternal. You know, it's it's kind of um, ironic that religious people are thinking that they get eternal life after they die. I mean, we already have eternal life. We're already eternal beings. We're already creating all of this. It's just that we're unconscious of that. Do animals have souls? They do, but they're simpler in construction. Uh, And in the Michael teachings, we call them hive souls, which means the group soul is is of a simpler construction. So like there's a group uh, canine soul for, you know, like where all the dogs hang out together. They're still individuals, but they don't have this um, complex soul organization that we have on the Michael chart. And what's different about uh, animals is that um, they don't function out of the intellectual part of the intellectual center, which means that they don't reason. They have thoughts, they have opinions, they have things they like and that they don't like. They have attitudes, but they don't make long-term plans, for example, which is, is a function of the intellectual part of the intellectual center. So they they are contributing to the Tao's growth and evolution, just like everything in the universe is. But they're not playing the game of choice that we're playing. So because we have this reasoning function, we grow through making reasoned choices, through creating more deliberately. And animals are having different kinds of experiences than we are. I mean, like like dogs with their ability to romp and play, and they're an expression of a certain kind of physical aliveness that we don't have so much in the human body anymore. So they're they're just playing a different game. And in fact, there is nothing in the universe that isn't alive. Rocks are alive. They're just vibrating so much more slowly that we don't recognize that there's a thought embedded in that rock. I've got a follow up on the animals. Do animals come to us um, sometimes with any like healing intention for us? Yes. So, um, you know, sometimes the same soul comes back to you over and over again through different animals. Like, uh, you know, your cat died and you make an agreement with them to come back through the next cat and it's the same soul. And um, that cat may have a particular agreement with you. So 
my first cat, uh, who I named uh, Agape, which means unconditional love, he had an agreement with me to help me channel. And he would lie next to me when I would channel, and he was like a little battery, you know, just like a little storage battery, just putting some little energy. And the moment Michael left my body, Agape would get up and leave, you know, he did his job. And now I have a cat named Happy, and she doesn't have that agreement with me, so she doesn't do that. She has different agreements with me, or, you know, or we're just pals, you know, so... um, it just depends on on what you chose and what what they chose. More I could ask, but I'll stop there. Yeah, we we <laughs> this is, yeah these these are way <laughs> too long. Um, but I mean this is good because there's really nothing available anywhere that that uh, delves into channeling uh, to this degree and this much depth. So this is going to be good for you know Michael teachings people or people who are who are curious about how channeling works. But for the most part, most people who are listening uh, are either interested in getting their charts or they have their charts and they're still trying to figure out what the hell it means. And so the next call, we got to get back on trying to unpack um, the overleaves and the sort of things that we haven't covered um, and to try to help people figure that stuff out. So, but this is good. David and I want to know the meaning of the universe. So just focus on that, that would be great. Yeah, we, we, we hit on enough of that stuff this call. This, this is <laughs> the... Uh, never enough. Never out, enough. Out there fucking, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> For all those people. But yeah, this has been really interesting. I don't think I've ever seen anything Michael Teachings related online that really explains and gets into channeling the way uh, that we did tonight. So good stuff. Thank you, Shepard. Yeah, thank you oh, so much. Oh, it's a pleasure. Okay, so we got to get it. back just specific on the chart. No more questions about <laughs> cosmic yeah, spirits good and shit like that. We, we're, about, we're going through the charts next time, people. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, I'm willing to keep doing this for either for eternity or until my body dies, whichever comes first. So. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, Sunday until one of us dies. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if, if, if I die, then you just need to find a shepherd channel and we can continue. Perfect. So, you know, so. uh, I, I volunteer. Teaching. I volunteer. Okay, great. Great. Yeah, I've been look ha- have to review how to snatch bodies. And, uh, oh, perfect. Body <laughs> as long as it's you and no other entity, that's fine. And okay, it's not all right. Hospital. All right, yes. Yeah, it's be, not in the I'll hospital. Be, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be gentle. I, I was sitting here thinking the whole time. Okay. I was sitting here thinking the whole time, like there's probably some nasty or evil dudes out here, like channeling like some evil entities and and like no, fucking people's it. lives up. I believe that. <laughs> you know, like I just think of back when growing up in Nigeria, where people would go to medicine doctors and they they bring, you know, trying to download information about certain people because they want to do them harm. And that yeah, was, yeah, yeah, that was that's, that's real, a real, yeah, that's a real thing for me growing up. And people were very afraid of that stuff oh, because crazy. you know, uh, you could actually do stuff, you could really harm people by going to these mediums and uh, people who could actually channel uh, certain entities that could, you know, provide information on how to kill people or uh, what to little like potions, yeah. spells, and you saw. Like that. You saw people climbing up walls and stuff too. What? I've seen, no, yeah, I've don't seen, tell me that. Don't tell. Mm-mm. I've seen it's that. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's just as karmic as doing it physically. Yes. Um, okay. And so you know, you 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 will get that 
done. It happened, you, Nancy. You it happened. Stop it. Um, but here's <laughs> it the thing. Here's the thing. You can easily protect yourself from that stuff if you just are aware of it. It's it's just again, it's just oral hygiene. So there's nothing to be afraid of. Just become aware of it and uh, just get used to scanning what's in your space that doesn't belong there and, and just remove it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the whole voodoo thing is also really big in the Caribbean and um, and psychic attack. And I mean, that's just only people who deep down believe themselves to be powerless even feel the need to try to control other people because when you're in touch with your spiritual power as an eternal being, you just create your own life and you let everyone else do the same. You live and let live. But, um, you know, all of this, you know, trying to control other people, it's really ugly, ugly stuff. And and the thing you said about kids having, uh, being more in touch with this these other realms, uh, I've told some of the guys this story of, uh, we in Nigeria, I had a maid, our family had a maid when I was a child who happened to be involved in one of these sort of voodoo groups. And part of her initiation was to get a piece of my hair to potentially have me killed. And when that happened, I, as a very young child, I don't even remember this. I was probably like two or three. I had a dream the night before this event took place that I told my mother, which put the whole family uh, in alarm. So the dream was very descriptive of something that was terrible that was going going to happen to me the very next day. uh, the a chunk of my hair was missing, and all of a sudden, the whole family's on alert because they knew what that meant, uh, and they were able to figure out that um, that it was the maid who, in fact, did that, and she confessed to it and admitted that she was part of some kind of cult group what, or something. What was she going to get out of you being dead or harmed or whatever? Well, it's just what the group. It's a better world. It's just what the group required <laughs> her to do. That you know, like an it's sort initiation. Of, it's an initiation uh, process, and it. But me saying that it wasn't even. A, it's not even a weird occurrence. People just do that kind of like people are involved in these kinds of things, and people just mysteriously die for no reason. And you and you find out later that maybe someone tried to have someone killed by going to someone who acts, who has as, access to you know these mm-hmm. entities that can do these these kinds of things. And so, uh, supposedly, I, I guess I had a dream that foretold what was happening and my my family was put on alert and that's kind of how they were able to stop it because they were aware and against it yeah yeah it's cool yeah yeah well nancy's like freaking out (laughs) you should see the like pretzel i formed my body into. you know i mean it's 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 not just the professional voodoo people who do things like that It's, it's anyone who's harboring uh, a, a lot of hate and anger towards someone that they're not uh, dealing with well um, are sending out nasty stuff to other people. And, um, you know, would, some people do it more skillfully, but uh, it's, um, it's something that, you know, if we want to keep ourselves clean and we want to be happy people, we have to learn to handle our own stuff and let other people handle their own stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. <laughs> yeah. All right. I gotta get going. So thank you. Good night, Shepard. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Good night. Hey. Take Thanks. care. Good night. See you Good next week, Shepard. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Bye. bye.